Uh, unfortunately, you can't avoid taking the medicine at some point. The government has this ability to kind of prolong things and to kick the can down the road and to sort of buy a little bit of time, which in many ways can be a positive thing. But ultimately, we're going to end a furlough scheme and we're going to have a lot of people unemployed. A lot of businesses are not going to come back. We're going to see a very prolonged recovery in, in that sense. There are a lot of reasons to be optimistic and a lot of reasons to be positive, but also it's a fundamental shift to the economy. We've never really shut down an economy the way we have this time. And it'll be interesting to see how uh, how things come back. Welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast with business strategist, speaker and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Hi, how you doing? Gavin here. Welcome back to the Business Mastermind podcast, episode number 127. But before we get into that, it's book launch week. Yay! Survive and Thrive, how to secure, scale and succeed in business. Boy, has this project been in the works for a long time. You know, it's one of those things that I wanted to write a book for a long time, but I kept getting busy with client work and family stuff and travel with work. And it was a project that got deprioritized. Well, it's here, it's launching. We've got the actual book, we've got an audio book version, we've got some follow on support and help for those that need to want to get into it right away. So, if your business is in the moment and you feel as if you're in survival mode, then part one of the book is absolutely for you to keep your business, to keep your business boat afloat, to make sure that we secure your platform, to make sure that we get you ready for growth. Part two is the thrive part. You know, we all got in business for a reason. We believed that we have the skills or the ability to bring a product or a service to a marketplace and do better than what is currently out there in the marketplace. And so the Thrive portion of the book, underpinned by my proven business growth model, the Strategy Compass, shows you six clear steps of things that you can do to get your business thriving again, to get it back on course. You love the book, um, rooted in a down-to-earth style with loads of examples and case studies and the practical things that you can do right away to get your business back on course, back on your terms, the, to the, the business that you had envisioned when you first start, started out. One thing that's always frustrated me uh, and made me feel that I could do more to help is when I see business owners, entrepreneurs who are a bit beaten up, a bit battle-weary because things hadn't gone as well as they hoped it would go. And that was the key driver and the reason for me behind writing Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business. So if you want to find out more about the book, if you want to grab yourself a free copy of the book, I just cover the posters and packaging and I'll get the copies of the book to you free, then go across to surviveandthrive.cc. That's www.surviveandthrive.cc. As a celebration this week, every day, Monday through Friday, I'm launching a new podcast episode, a special sort of book launch mini-series. And I'm featuring in it people who have mentored or influenced me over over recent times and into the past. I just wanted to give you some exposure to some of the people that I've been influenced by 
and been mounted and coached and trained by. And today we've got none other than uh, four times best-selling author Daniel Priestley. Daniel, um, got a lot of time and a lot of love for Daniel. He is um, the author of Key Person of Influence, Entrepreneur Revolution, Oversubscribed, 24 Assets. He runs Global Small Business, Dent.Global, and they run accelerators for uh, entrepreneurial businesses. And over 3,000 business owners and um, entrepreneurs have been through his key person of influence program and other accelerators that he runs. We have a fantastic conversation around how population, demographics, and technology influence trends, strategic trends, and how you can pay attention to those and almost have a crystal ball about what's coming next in terms of trends in the marketplace, how we've got used to working uh, virtually using new technology and what that means to business, two key magnets in the global economy and which one are you going to be orientated near. And also, uh, we go on to talk about the things that you could do to help to um, encourage entrepreneurialism in your children. And if that's not enough, we're even talking about how you can manage a team virtually across several different time zones across the globe. So into my interview now, fascinating, far-reaching conversation with Daniel Priestley, CEO of Dent.Global and best-selling author of uh, KPI, Key Person of Influence, Entrepreneur Revolution, Oversubscribed, and 24 Assets. Dan, hi. Welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast. Today, I'm joined by four-time best-selling author, Daniel Priestley, founder, global CEO of uh, Global Small Business, Dent, over 3,000 uh, business owners, entrepreneurs, thought leaders have been through the Dent Global Accelerators. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast, Daniel. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. So I met Dan a number of years ago and got a lot to thank him for in terms of the Key Person of Influence program. Um, we were just talking a minute ago that he's up to uh, cohort 28 now, and I did it back when it was cohort number five. And uh, you know, it's one of those programs for me that's still at this very day. Not only am I following Daniel and the Dent team, but I'm still putting into practice what I learned uh, back then. So, um, firstly, I'm noticing that you're doing a lot of podcasts at the moment, Daniel. So, uh, just interesting to know that uh, you're obviously incredibly busy. What is it about podcasting for you that is uh, worthy of investing so much of the time into it? Oh, well, there's many things. Um, number one, uh, whenever I do a podcast with someone like yourself, it's just a great opportunity to connect, to talk. Um, and to share whatever we're going to talk about with your group, with your community, um, and with mine. Um, and the statistics around podcasting is that, uh, on average, people listen to about 40 minutes. No pressure to anyone listening, but uh, there's a good chance you're going to listen to at least 40 minutes of this. Um, and, uh, and, and look, I love digital assets, all digital assets. Um, you know, it's fantastic because uh, digital assets have three superpowers. They transcend time, space, and wear and tear. So transcendence of time, obviously, this recording is going to be available in a year, 10 years, it'll be around somewhere for for a long time. Um, Transcendence of space, people could be listening listening to this anywhere in the world. And then wear and tear, um, it could be downloaded a 1000 times or 10,000 times or 100,000 times, and it still doesn't uh, lose any of its quality. So because of those three superpowers on, on balance, if you create a lot of digital assets, you end up um, creating a lot of friends. Brilliant. I love that. And so therefore, you know, you, you know that you will get a return on your time invested. The more people that hear you talking about the work that you do and the insights that you've got to share with entrepreneurs, obviously, the more the work you the work 
gets out. Um, you have a you have an uncanny ability, or it seems to be an uncanny ability, to call market trends before they happen. Um, you put a report out um, over a year ago now, I think it was, with the apt mnemonic crash, predicting this. Um, you know, what's your process in order for you to be able to track these trends and be able to predict some of the things that you, you you've become adept at predicting? So there's there's two crystal balls that I use to uh, look into the future. Uh, one of them is demographics, uh, and demographics is essentially um, the idea that people do things at a at a predictable time in their life. So um, when we're in our twenties, we are typically um, fairly selfish and uh, looking to date different people and um, looking to kind of be interested in things like fashion and music. Um, and then we, uh, you know, we're different again in our 30s. In our 30s, it's a little bit more about career and settling down with one person and perhaps starting a family. And then in our 40s, it tends to be about earning as much as possible to, to get that family home and, um, and uh, really kind of establish ourselves in our career. So there's certain things that we do in each decade. <clears throat> and um, when there is a big lump of people in a, uh, in a particular category, then that causes a bit of a trend. So, for example, we have a huge demographic bubble called the baby boomers. The baby boomers is the largest uh, segment in the uh, in the demographics, um, and they're turning seventy. So, when you have a huge number of people turning seventy, that actually creates a huge um, bubble within things that people do at age seventy. Um, so, for example, uh, healthcare. Um, travel, selling down assets, selling down businesses, moving from big family homes into smaller homes, um, all of those things are things that people do in their 70s. So um, you can see that, you know, there's going to be a lot of people doing those kind of things. Uh, so demographics is one one area, and obviously you can apply that to the millennials or the Gen Xs, um, and you'll get uh, also similar answers as to what people will be doing at different times. Um, my second crystal ball is technology. So the rule with technology is that things scale first very slowly and they don't work very well, and then suddenly they work a little bit better and they scale very quickly. So, um, for example, you know, people start using smartphones and they're not very useful, and then suddenly they're useful and everyone's using them. Uh, so when you essentially go looking for technologies that have hit that 20% curve and that are starting to click into gear and starting to work, then you uh, then you you can see what's coming. It's going to accelerate at pace. So between demographics and technology, that is that is one of the those are two of the main things that I look at when I'm trying to look at what's going to happen next. Great, but then you're also looking at sort of economic cycles, the economic clock in terms of uh, investment cycles and, and and how the economy has yeah, gone towards a peak. In 2019, we could see that you know it had been almost 10 years since the last recession, um, and you know the markets were too overheated. There was the inverted yield curve. Um, you know we'd run out of kind of money to pour into the marketplace based on what was there at the time. So all of those indicators were saying that we were at the top of the marketplace and that it would only take a shock. Um, didn't know what the shock would be, but it would only take a shock to the economy in order for it to. Um, uh, tip into uh, into a different phase and into a, into another recession, another another kind of negative um, phase, and that I knew that that shock would be particularly savage because of the baby boomers. That essentially, right. when when you've got a lot of people who are aged over seventy um, who have seen many recessions before, 
as soon as you get that shock, they're going to say, okay, I'm out, I'm done. Mm. I'm not going to go through this again. Um, so you'll get a lot of people who shut down their business rather than try and sell it. You'll get lots of people who uh, try and sell sell their houses, um, they sell their you know sell some of their stocks and shares. So um, you know, I knew that there would be a particularly savage shock uh, this time round. And as it's turned out to be, <laughs> even more savage than anybody could have ever predicted. Yeah, and also I, in in my opinion, just getting started. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that I think once uh, fellow runs out October time and um, the impacts of any grants that businesses have received has run out, they've chewed through the seabulls or the business bounce back loan, they're going to see a very different position, aren't we, in terms of increased unemployment? Yeah, unfortunately, you can't avoid taking the medicine at some point. You know, um, the government has this ability to kind of prolong things and to kick the can down the road and to sort of buy a little bit of time, which in many ways can be a positive thing. But ultimately, um, you know, we're going to end a furlough scheme and we're going to have a lot of people unemployed. A lot of businesses are are actually fundamentally not going to come back. So um, we're going to see, you know, a very prolonged, you know, uh, recovery in in that sense. There are a lot of reasons to be optimistic and a lot of reasons to be positive, but also, um, you know, it's a fundamental shift to the economy. We've never really shut down an economy the way we have this time. And it'll be interesting to see how uh, how things come back. I noticed you posted a, um, an article on LinkedIn saying, um, is now a good time for an entrepreneur or not? Um, and the points of your article are obviously that it is. Do you want to sort of go through some of the reasons why you think now is actually a good time for an entrepreneur? Well, the number one reason why it is a, is a good time to be an entrepreneur, which I didn't mention in the article, <clears throat> is because uh, the alternative isn't really there. So yeah, it's, it's true. It's, used to be that you either were an entrepreneur, uh, which is a bit foolish because it meant you weren't working in a solid, stable, amazing job that just paid the bills and and was fabulous. But the truth is there's very, very few people who have that kind of job anymore. So in the in the real terms, in the real economy, they say, oh, you know, we've got lots of employment, but that includes people who are working as uh, food delivery people on, the, on a bicycle for Deliveroo mm. and, and all of these kind of people. So these days you either you know work as an entrepreneur or you know you're in an economy that doesn't really offer a lot um, in terms of stability and security and high income so um, I mean there you know I grew up in a time uh, which wasn't that long ago where if you're a police officer or a nurse or a doctor um, you know or a school teacher you actually had quite a respectable income and you could afford to pay off a mortgage and you could afford to um, go on a nice holiday and, you know, that was just a good, healthy, middle-class place to be, whereas if you're a teacher these days, you probably have a second job. Um, mm. You might do nannying on the weekends, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so horrendous, horrendous. Um, so the number one reason to be an entrepreneur is because there's not a great alternative anymore. Um, but also, look, let's go through it. Uh, there's a lot of money out there, huge amounts of money, $130 billion in the UK economy has been pumped in. Sure. Um, so that's a great reason. There's huge amounts of problems that need solving. So wherever there's a, a, a problem, there's an opportunity for an entrepreneur, um, and we've got lots of problems uh, ranging from small consumer and problems to business problems right through to societal and environmental problems that all need solving. Um, There's incredible access to markets. You know, this is an amazing time where if you can think about your business in terms of time zones, uh, it's a transformational, never been done before uh, thing for small businesses to really be able to reach out and service a time zone. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my business at the moment, since COVID, we've had this leap 
in people just on time zones joining our our new products and services. So, you know, we've got clients in South Africa, in um, uh, in Norway, in uh, Spain, in Portugal, uh, in Ibiza. Uh, you know, we've got all these these people joining us from anywhere that kind of works within the time zone. Um, so that's that's been great. Uh, so for a lot of those reasons, it's actually not a bad time to be an entrepreneur. Uh, interestingly, actually, we're supporting a client this morning. I was on a on a Zoom call, and there were people there from Australia, uh, based in Australia, the US, uh, and in three different locations in the UK. And yeah, it's just fascinating now that, that the whole idea of the small, the global small business is just becoming more and more commonplace. Yeah, and that I think um, that's one thing that COVID has done is it's normalised that kind of value delivery. Mm. Um, if the government issued a commandment that we all had to wear roller skates for a month or three months, uh, by the end of three months, we'd all be very comfortable getting around on roller skates and um, and we'd all be used to it. And even though in the beginning it felt really clunky, we'd get used to it in the end. And essentially that's what's happened with technology. The government's come along and said uh, uh, everyone's got to get used to this whole technology thing real fast, you know, inadvertently changed our habits. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot less travel as a result of that. So and obviously a lot more people will continue to consume um, more in terms of a learning environment online. More people will choose to ha- conduct their business meetings over uh, tools such as meetings and Zoom. Do you think there will be a, a hybrid return when sort of uh, lockdown is eased and pandemic is a bit more under control that you see some people still wanting to travel on business, wanting to, to travel to attend conferences and courses? Uh, to be perfectly honest, I think the easy answer would be to say, yeah, I'm sure there'll be lots of people who want to do that, and I'm, I'm sure there are. But I, I do actually think that in many ways um, the economics of running face-to-face conferences now uh, mm. will actually be so skewed in favour of doing it online um, mm. that most serious organisations will stick with the online model. Um, the you know I'm seeing a lot of people who, who really... They're, they're thinking very differently about their time and their, the value of spending time in these things. I think that what will have to emerge is a new reason to get together. So what is it that we can do uh, online? That we, or What is it we can do face-to-face that we can't do online? And, um, you know, it'll be things like eating together and, you know, a lot more kind of more festival-type um, experiences uh, eventually as opposed to sitting in a chair and learning um, because if you're going to sit in a chair and learn, you might as well sit in a chair at home and learn. Um, yeah, I sure. also I also genuinely believe that we'll see a, a shift towards deurbanization. The last 30 years has been uh, the name of the game, and I've been recommending it uh, for, for decades, is get yourself to a big city. What on earth are you doing outside of a big city? Um, so there's been so, you know, over the last 10 years, I've said to people, um, or more, I've said to people, why on earth are you not in London or in a major city? Uh, that's where all the opportunities are. You know, you need to be in and around a big city in order to get the opportunities. Even if you've got an office outside of a big city, you need to be there more uh, more often. Um, and then COVID has literally, in a heartbeat, just gone, nope, that logic's gone. Every, everyone's in a different mode now. So um, I know people who have always been big city people who are now thinking about moving a couple of hours out of a city and having a beautiful big home and a lovely home office anywhere that they've got fast enough Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you'll see more in- infrastructure demands on sort of more rural areas of sh- uh, in terms of being rolling out of uh, fibre in order to be able to create fast enough Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. All these tech entrepreneurs descending upon their farms. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I live in North Wales and uh, literally a couple of minutes walk out of the house is a small hill and uh, just after I'd eaten lunch with the boys and before this recording, just run up the hill with them and quick game of hide and seek and back down again and then and able to then jump on Zoom and do this. So it's, uh, yeah, there are a huge amount of benef- benefits as well, of course, to, to now being able to sort of transcend that time and distance in this be- way. You'll just be begging your local council for a 5G tower. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit slower behind the, behind the tires up here. Are you tired of the instability of your business? Do you want to stop cash flow challenges, achieve stability in profit, and build a business that you could sell? Do you want to introduce strategies that provide certainty of income? reinvigorate you and your team so that you put an end to plateauing and get your business thriving again. In every sector, in every country, in every state of the economy, there are always businesses that book the trend and outperform the market. It is possible to turn your business around and grow the profitability, reach and impact of your business and put your business back on course for a worthy exit or rewarding future. In my new book, Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business, I show you how. I wrote this book for business owners who are putting so much into their business at the expense of time with their family and on their health and who are not getting the results that they desire. I have brought 25 years of experience working in businesses large and small and combining the disciplines of business strategy with mindset with scaling a business to bring you a proven way to scale your business with certainty. To grab your free copy of Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business, go to www.surviveandthrive.cc. I'll cover the cost of the book. You just cover the cost of shipping and handling. So head over to surviveandthrive.cc to get your free copy of the book. Um, So what do you think a lot of business owners are kind of missing out on right now? And And the flip side of that question is what should they be focusing on right now? Great question. So um, big picture for a little bit longer, uh, there's there's really going to be two magnets in the global economy as far as, as, far as what you can earn. Um, so if you imagine that all the world's 7 billion people are in a big line and there's a super magnet right in the middle and we'll call that magnet uh, 15,000 US dollars per year, um, uh, 1,200 US dollars a month type, type thing, um, that's sitting there right in the middle. Uh, and if you're in a developing nation like uh, Philippines or India um, or even parts of Africa, you know, then actually that's lifting your income up towards the uh, the fifteen thousand a year mark. Um, if you're in a developed country like the US, like uh, the UK, um, like Europe, you're actually getting sucked down because you're now in competition with someone who is uh, in Philippines. Let's say so, for example. Uh, you're a video editor in London, and for you to comfortably live in London, you need at least forty thousand pounds a year, um, and that would be a bare minimum. Um, whereas a equivalent video editor who is got a master, who's got a master's degree, who's got incredible experience, who's got a great terminal to work with, you know, can produce the exact same output for you know for, for one third. So um, so you're essentially sucking back down to uh, to this kind of global average. Of fifteen thousand US per year. Um, now, on the other side, <clears throat> you've got this other magnet called fifteen thousand US a week, um, and uh, and this is where you get people who are 
leveraging digital. They're the people who are, you know, they've got a community of people around them. They've got a marketplace who they can sell to. They've got 10,000 followers on their time zone, let's say. And actually they're, they're going up. So they're, you know, they used to at any other time in history, they might've made four or 5,000 a week. They might've made a few thousand a week. And now they're just going, Whoa, I'm earning 10, 15 grand a week. Uh, every week now like this is this is incredible and I'm seeing a lot of that by the way I'm seeing a lot of people who charge themselves out at three grand a day and they're booked out every day um, you know uh, I'm seeing a lot of people who have a business that that makes three grand a day worth of worth of sales uh, so you know there's, there's just a lot of people who are now in that category of you know the thousands of dollars per day um, and so it's kind of like you've got to figure out which magnet you're going to get close to because if you're Getting, if you're basically a professional who's commoditized, who can explain their job in a few sentences and everyone understands what you mean and it's a well-known discipline, bang, you're, in, you're next to that, uh, that middle-of-the-road income globally. Uh, if you're special, unique, different and uh, leveraging through digital, bang, you're up near that top magnet. And, um, and both magnets are very powerful. They're, you know, they're both bringing people towards them. Um, it just, you, you have to be right next to that top magnet as opposed to the middle one. Love that analogy. And so for the top magnet, um, what kind of, when you say digital and digital assets, for those listening that are not familiar with your work, what do you mean by that? So for example, um, we talk about the key person of influence strategy, things like having a book, having podcasts, having videos online, having an online digital delivery system having a very clearly articulated niche, having a, um, a group of fanatical fans who absolutely adore you because you're talking specifically to them and their target group and their niche um, and your story really lines up and resonates with their story. Um, so that would be that key person of influence uh, persona, building that KPI persona is part of that. And then there's the actual digital business assets, things like the brand, the culture, the systems, um, the data that you collect, uh, all of that being part of the digital uh, digital ecosystem of your business. Um, intellectual property, software, media that you're producing um, fits within that category. Now, the more you're creating those assets, uh, the more you're making it easy to be next to that magnet. So, um, for example, I'll talk about my, myself personally. Uh, I've got four books and I've got a few that I've co-authored. Um, every week, you know, those books are going out and people are buying them and, and, uh, and then, you know, every month, I get a few people who say, hey, could we do some work together? Could we do something? And that puts me in a position of being uh, reasonably in demand. Um, so it push, pushes my uh, my rate up. And sometimes it's a person in California and sometimes it's a person in South Africa and sometimes it's a person in Dubai. Um, so, I'm, you know, those books are going out and doing the work of meeting people all over the world. That's a, you know, that's a handy thing to have in the 2020s. And then you support that with other online assets, whether that be podcasts, whether it be video, whether it be scorecards, which I know that's something that you're very keen on. Scorecards are a really big trend at the moment. Um, and, and it's one of the most powerful marketing strategies. We've had 65,000 people take our online key person of influence scorecard. Um, and that has, from 65,000 people, that has turned into uh, t- close to 20 million worth of sales. Wow. Wow. 
And that hooks people into, they get presumably, they do a questionnaire online, they get a report off the back of that. So that's personalized, specific information, data to them. And then that starts an engagement and sales conversation and a journey to them becoming potentially a client. Yeah. And also the sales conversation is really targeted. So if you answer the scorecard and it turns out that you've got great product, um, but a profile that's a bit lacking, we can immediately get on the phone and say, hey, look, you've got a great product, but we need to work on your profile. And you say, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you because I told you that. Um, so <laughs> yeah. we're, on the same, we're on the same page from the very first minute. Yeah. Do you know, at a very macro level, these scorecards are a huge trend as well. If you look at Donald Trump and Joe Biden, uh, if you go to their Facebook pages and you there's a section where you, it's called advertising transparency, you can actually have a look at all the ads that they're running. Uh, I would say two-thirds of the ads that they're running are directing people to go take a scorecard, take a quiz, take a survey, um, and they're collecting all that data constantly and then they're talking to people about that the data that they collect. So you see this as a, as a new sort of emerging trend in terms of marketing, don't you, in terms about the data and being able to, A, uh, collect that data but interpret and then target campaigns off the back has been kind of like the new vanguard in marketing and you're citing it's the presidential elections. Yeah, this is for the next few years, this is going to be a very, very hot way to do your marketing. Um, and the fact that you can automate it and build an entire customized um, sequence of emails, uh, customized retargeting of ads can be done off the back. Once you've got that data, you can do so much with it. Um, it's kind of like the reason that people become best friends is because they have a lot of data on each other. So, um, if we, you know, if we were best friends, it's because I know your favorite food and I know the jokes that you laugh at and I know um, your favorite music. I actually have all the data and my brain, which is a very powerful algorithm, uh, knows how to use that data in, in conversation. So if you kind of break it down to its parts, a best friend is someone who has lots of data and knows how to use it. And where we are technologically is the ability to capture lots of data about people and then the ability to use it powerfully. Um, any business that's not doing that is going to fall behind. So how could a business that is intrigued by a sophistication of the campaigns like you've seen in the American presidential elections, how could they actually start to implement some of those ideas and strategies in their own business? Yeah, so I'm a main investor in a company called, uh, it's a startup uh, called scoreapp.com. And scoreapp.com is specifically, I got involved in it because I saw the trend. It's not the other way around. I'm not talking about it because I'm an investor in it. I saw the trend and went, we need to, we need to be in on this. Um, and essentially, scoreapp.com, for £25 a month, you can just buy yourself a scorecard, set it up, go online, write some questions, write the response pages, set up the email campaigns that go off the back of it. Uh, it's all actually, it sounds complicated. It's, it's remarkably simple. So, you know, you could you literally with about three hours or four hours of fooling about with the system and coming up with some ideas, you'd pretty much come up with a key here. Most, most intelligent people could come up with a very good asset uh, in about three hours. And then you promote that across the social media channels, put some paid, uh, paid ads behind that. Yeah, I would start to see that as a bridge between good content and a sales conversation. So yeah. it's especially powerful for anyone who's already creating content. So if someone's already um, writing books or doing podcasts or videos or even just writing a decent article on LinkedIn and at the end of it they say, um, by the way, if you want to connect with me, one thing to I recommend is take the uh, fitness scorecard um, to measure four areas of fitness and, and to measure whether you're doing some of the right things around fitness. Um, here's the link. And that can kind of be the, the sign-off of, of a lot of the content that you create. 
And then essentially, the more content you create with that sign-off, the more you end up with uh, a steady stream of these data-rich leads coming in. Now, um, I, I did laugh when I saw you put a, a picture on uh, social media of maybe one of those aging programs that this is me after <laughs> several months of lockdown with uh, three kids under the age of six and uh, something I can I can relate to. And I don't like a lot of um, parents at home trying to run a business or conduct that you know do a job and then juggle with kids. How how have you managed to do that in a way? <laughs> with three young children at home, the way that's worked? Look, uh, the, the, the honest, well, number one, it's been hard, of course. Mm. You know, three kids under six, um, you can't really leave them alone for very long. Uh, they are in constant need of uh, attention. Um, we're extremely lucky in the sense that, um, you know, both my wife and I have a high degree of flexibility around our work and we also very fortunately, and you wouldn't hear many men say this, but uh, very fortunately we live with my mother-in-law. So oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, so we have a great situation where yeah. um, where Elena's mother lives with us, and she is just dedicated to the kids, and and it's Amazing. it's wonderful. And that, to be honest, that's been the biggest blessing. We're okay. we're just so lucky in that sense um, to have a to have an extra adult in the house. Oh yes, uh, I've got well. They've just they're just both clicked up an age but it started off locked down with a two-year-old and a six-year-old and even that even that age gap between them we don't want to watch the same things on television well <laughs> we're trying to school the eldest one the other one's climbing all over the place so yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a real it's a real challenge it's a very extremely real challenge and um it's probably been one of the hardest things for parents especially with that particular age group yeah. um of those kind of under under tens you know and of course, it's had a big impact on productivity as well. And back to the lockdowns, not only that people haven't been in their place of work or been able to sort of transact in the ways they might have done, but I think output in the day, the days have become elongated around, you know, children being awake. And- yeah, fortunately, um, fortunately, we get this extra, you know, hour, hour and a half that we would normally be commuting. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's actually been interesting because... You know, I live in London. Um, I live in a place called Putney, which is kind of like southwest London. But even still, I would often previously do a lot of meetings around Liverpool Street, and it would be fifty minutes to get to Liverpool Street if I'm if I'm you know uninterrupted, um, and then fifty minutes to get home. So if I'm essentially, I would normally leave an hour and fifteen before a meeting, and be home kind of an hour and fifteen. Uh, later, so it was like over two hours a day of just getting in and out of London, even even living in London. Yeah. And one of, one of the nicest things is that that that's gone. You know, that's that's been something that's come back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, talking of children, I know that um, you've collaborated with Jodie Cook on a on an upcoming book, uh, How to Raise Entrepreneurial Kids. Any gems that you can tease us uh, with prior to that? I- my goodness, so many gems. So the book is actually 200 parents who have emailed us in a story. Oh, amazing. Uh, yeah, so Jody and I have written the intros and the outros and kind of we've knitted it together with key themes and we've kind of like said, here's a theme, here's a bunch of stories that relate to that. But it's been oh, yeah. crowds. It's 200 people who have, we've got over 75,000 words has come in. That's after we've edited it down. Um, so we, we're actually looking at cutting it down a bit more, but um, it's it's just so many parents sharing their ideas of how they've created an entrepreneurial team, an entrepreneurial kid. 
Um, and it's important to make a distinction. We're not trying to turn kids into entrepreneurs. Like it's not about forcing kids into starting an actual business, but giving them some entrepreneurial skills um, So and, and a different mindset around business. So I'll give you some gems. Um, so, so some of the ones are like how you describe what you do for work. Uh, so a lot of parents typically would say what their parents said, which is I have to go to work. Um, sorry, I can't do that. I can't do that thing with you because I have to go to work as opposed to explaining um, that I get to go to work. I enjoy going to work um, or, or I'm creating something and explaining I run a business. I, you know, so just having a positive attitude towards the world of work allows them to be excited about work as opposed to dreading of work. It's something that you build up to that's going to be great one day. Um, things like... Um, uh, explaining to children that I've said no because you haven't got a good argument as to why I should say yes, but if you can improve your argument and repitch the idea, then, um, you know, so it's little things like that. Yeah. Uh, the other one is like pocket money. So we give kids pocket money for chores, but actually a lot of people earn money through creativity and innovation and doing positive things. So if you're willing to give your children, a, you know, a pound to clean out the gutters, why not also offer them a pound to create an amazing story and write it down and, and give that to you or, or to create a beautiful picture um, and to just for the educational lesson that you can make money through creativity, not just through doing horrible jobs. Um, so, so it's about putting a little bit of thought in and, and saying, um, okay, look, he, here's, here's multiple ways you could be making some money. Um, you, you, rather than uh, cleaning a mess, it could be that we're going to put some ingredients together and we're going to mix it all up and create a product, put it into a into a container, put a label on it, give it a brand, and um, and then we're going to you know sell that to somebody. So little things like that are, are powerful. Um, some of the other ones are just mindset shifts about um, you know kids often ask what do you do for work and mm. saying th- saying things like. Um, I create things, I network, um, I meet people, I have uh, really great conversations. So kind of introducing them to the idea that work is a little bit fluid in, in uh, you know, I, you could say I identify problems and come up with solutions to them. So kind of just broadening the concept of what work might look like. Um, so these are some of the these are some of the basic level things that we've got in there. And of course, that speaks back to your earlier comment about the safe employed position uh, isn't really there now. So more people will find themselves being entrepreneurs or and being self employed. Exactly, and that's what we're setting people up for. Just that I that realization that you know you have to raise kids responsibly for a world where the jobs the jobs that we know are probably not going to be around. So they have to they have to understand that there's there's different kind of skills that are required the other the other one that i thought was just worth mentioning is when a uh, slightly older children um when they want something they have to put together a pitch deck so they actually have to translate their thinking into a slide presentation a keynote or a powerpoint presentation so let's say a kid wants a pet um in fact this is a story from jody jody wanted to get a puppy and her parents made her put together a pitch deck where she had to actually put her thoughts onto a PowerPoint presentation and she had to actually do a forecast of who's going to walk the dog and clean up after the dog and all this kind of stuff um, in order for her to pitch the idea. So it's just that idea that in order to make something happen, you actually have to do a presentation or a pitch um, uh, and, and 
and just getting that in their head early. Just a real gem. And then just finally, you're obviously um, running a business across several different continents. So you, um, Dent is um, running programs out of obviously the UK, Australia, US, Canada. And- well, we've actually, we've redefined the business now. So we were in eight cities. We're now in three time zones. So right, we've, consolidated, okay. we've consolidated to London, Sydney, and Toronto. And um, from each of those offices, we now run the three time zones. So uh, we've got the EMEA time zone, the Australasian time zone, and the Americas time zone, um, all running out of three offices. We've consolidated everything back to three, three um, offices, and it's been one of the best things we've ever done. And we now essentially our, um, our uh, intakes have jumped by 20% already. Uh, so, so we're, we're getting, we're getting more people come to us. We're getting people from further afield. We've really opened up our, uh, our opportunities to be running a great business with more people, um, increased our capacity to serve people. Um, we've, at, we've found new ways to add value faster templates, um, you know, these kind of things, technology, software, and we just run three time zones now. So the goal is to be in 20 cities, but really just being, being run from three three time zones. And what do you find works really well in terms of leading and engaging a team spread across those time zones and obviously remotely? Uh, regular rhythms and uh, so like rhythms, habits, um, uh, sort of like creating. Uh, you've got to put you've got to put the thought in because our team is so geographically spaced out now. We have four or five in the Philippines. Uh, we've got people in Melbourne, in Sydney, in Brisbane. We've got people in the UK, but spaced out all over the UK now. So we've got several you know, people in Milton Keynes. We've got people in Norwich, uh, London. Um, you know, we've got uh, a new person who's just started with us in Mexico. One in Toronto, uh, or several in Toronto. Uh, so basically, we're all spaced out. So little things that we do when you join our team, we send you a backpack, and it's full of the books that we, uh, you know, the four books. It's got a whole bunch of stuff about dent. It's got stickers, water bottle, um, you know, just just a bunch of fun stuff all all in the backpack. So you get a physical experience of being part of the the team, and you've got your t-shirt and um, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, so that's that's part of it. We have these regular meetings that we do. Um, we call them V3 meetings. Um, so it stands for vision, values, and value proposition. And, and that was the original uh, thing that stuck. But we have these V3 meetings um, and we just uh, have these regular V3s and we have all hands and they happen at the same time, at the same place, you know, and we go and we just do those meetings. So we've got a series of meetings that we do internally that bring the whole team together. Um, and then we've, we're really diligent about having um, uh, good habits around storing files and folders so that it's, right. you know, we're not chasing each other for niggly stuff that, you know, it's like it's it's always saved on the Dropbox and the Dropbox is kept nice and neat and that means that we all know where to go for particular key fol- folders and files. Um, and then we have a really fun approach to Slack. So we've got everyone on Slack and we use lots of Giphys and, um, you know, th- that sort of stuff. And regularly we just break out into a, into a little... Um, uh, Zoom meeting and everyone's chatting about an idea and then we close it down on a Friday afternoon sometimes on the time zone. We'll just get everyone together for drinks on Zoom just, yeah. for, just for a chat. Um, yeah. Fantastic. So we're, we're coordinating about 60 people globally. So um, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a bit of a, a, a mess, but it's really just getting routines um, and cultural norms, habits 
uh, formed. Fantastic. So if anybody listening wants to find out about the programs that uh, you and the team at Dent uh, offer, how do they find out more? One of the first things people normally do is they read the book Key Person of Influence um, or take the Key Person of Influence scorecard. So you can easily just Google Key Person of Influence scorecard and it'll pop up. Um, or you can email our office, info at dent.global, and we'll just send you a, a free copy of the book um, where we'll, uh, we'll we'll put that in the mail to you and, and uh, you can have a read. If it resonates, great, get in touch. Uh, if not, then um, go find something else, I guess. <laughs> find something that works for you. But... Uh, you know, it's a it's a great way. We're not really kind of like big on um, trying to capture everyone, everything. We you know we're we're great for some people and for others. They're looking for something else. That's totally fine. So uh, so they can they can check us out in those ways. Daniel, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Gavin, for having me on the, on the show. Hi, Gavin here. Three key takeaways from that fascinating conversation with Daniel. The first is the importance of having scorecards in your sales and marketing processes. Those stats that Daniel shared, 65,000 people have taken the Key Person of Influence scorecard and that has led to £20 million worth of sales. Phenomenal results. And that's led to how data-led marketing can enable you to have not only customized sales conversations, but customized retargeting. So you're building that relationship with them. So yeah, phenomenal opportunity for every single business with scorecards. Those two magnets he spoke about, about the magnet of £15,000 a year, sorry, $15,000 a year versus $15,000 a week. Um, the opportunities there and how you need to build those digital assets around you and your business. Yeah, that finally about this uh, building and developing entrepreneurial kids and that idea about why don't you give pocket money when they create something rather than just doing chores, which which I love. And that, that subtle change in language about uh, I get to go to work or I get to work with these amazing people rather than I have to go to work. So thank you, Daniel. Fantastic interview. Thoroughly enjoyed that. And remember, if you want to learn how to survive and thrive in your business, how to secure, scale and succeed in business, grab yourself your free copy of my new book. It comes out this Thursday, July the 30th. Go across to surviveandthrive.cc. That's www.surviveandthrive.cc. If you're frustrated that you're not getting the results from your business that you desire, that you've been working so hard to get towards, then you're going to love the content of the book, but more importantly, the strategies that I share with you to get your business back on track, to get your business from plateau back into growth. And even before that, if you're in survival mode at the moment, how to keep your boat afloat of your business and um, get your platform ready for that growth. Surviveandthrive.cc. See you there. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success and create more impact.